You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Parenting is a lifelong endeavor. Uh, Don and I were blessed with four wonderful children. But what has really struck me through the years is how our relationship with our children has changed through the years. We found that parenting, like life itself, has seasons in it. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the seasons of parenting. Because just like as winter one day becomes spring and spring turns to summer and then summer to fall, your seasons as a parent are going to change. That is one thing I can absolutely tell you. Right now, you might be knee deep in the preschool years. There are days when life can't seem to go fast enough. You know, when you have that grumpy two-year-old who won't stop whining no matter what you do, or those late nights with that teething, miserable baby that just won't stop crying and they're making your nights long and sleepless. And some of you are wondering if there ever is going to be a day when I don't have to change diapers again. Trust me, there will be a day. Though the days right now seem long and the nights that won't end, very soon you'll enter another season of life with those little ones. And very soon they won't be little anymore. And then before you know it, you'll look back and you'll wonder where the days went and how they went so fast. Today, we're going to divide parenting into four seasons. Because all four seasons are distinctly unique. Each of them come with their ups and downs, their funs and their frustrations, their joys and their real struggles. And the way that you relate to your children will change with each new season. The keys are, first of all, to understand what season you're in, and then second, to adjust to the changes that are required in that new season as you enter it. Now let's look first this morning at the young years. Birth to, say, five years of life. We'll we'll call it the springtime of parenting, because all things are new in the springtime. And I think the priorities of those years can best be described in this verse that we turn to in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15. Notice what it says. It says, the rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Now, I love the the New American Standard version of this verse. It says, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way, brings shame to his mother. Guys, the early years of parenting are all about the child learning to do things guided by their parents, not going their own way. See, I believe the Bible is really clear. Every child is born a little bit selfish and a little bit foolish, and to varying degrees of that. Okay, let me rephrase that. Every child is born way selfish and way foolish to varying degrees. 
And when you let a small child set his own agenda, or, or worse, set the agenda for the family, that's a foolish thing. But you know what? It happens all the time. See, the early years of parenting are all about setting boundaries for your child. The parents are setting the direction for life and for that child's life. What's going to be good? What's not good? What's acceptable in this world? What's not acceptable? For example, when you go to the grocery store, how's that child going to behave? How's he not going to behave? What's going to be acceptable behavior as that child rides in the back seat strapped in that car seat? And what's not going to be acceptable behavior? See, the child needs to learn to live in your world. You don't necessarily need to learn to live in their world. Because their world, left to itself, would not be a very fun place to live in. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. From the very start, every child will battle with you, or most children will battle with you, for control of the home. It usually starts with a battle over when and where they will sleep. You know, it's amazing how that little one can manipulate you, isn't it? Into sleeping exactly where they want to sleep. From there, the battles go on to things like what and when they're going to eat and where that food is going to wind up if they don't like it. Then the struggle for control and dominance, it, it, it begins there and it, it just continues. And, and it's all about whose world are we going to end up living in? The parent's world or the child's world? Who's going to set the agenda? Well, let me this morning, I'm going to give you four principles in each uh, season of life. Let me begin with four principles that I hope will help you stay in control of your home. If you have a small one, at least the degree that a parent can stay in control when they have children. And I'm not sure to what degree that exactly is. Number one, if you're in this season of life, this young season, remember this. Parents are responsible to establish the boundaries for the young child. And when we talk about boundaries, think of it as fences. We're going to define for that child what is acceptable in this life and what is not acceptable. For example, is it okay... We would, we would admit, it's okay not to like squash. I don't like squash. But you know what's not acceptable? To take it and throw it on the floor. You know, when I'm at the restaurant and they bring me some food and it might have something on my plate that I don't like, I can't just go, oh, I don't like that. And, but for some reason, we think it might be okay for a little one to do that. Or it's okay to get mad at mommy if, if we don't like something she says to us or, or does but that doesn't mean it's acceptable to hit her or to talk with her disrespectfully just because we're angry. Establishing house rules or, or boundaries for a young child is very important, parents. They, those boundaries that you set, they've got to be fair. They've got to be age-appropriate rules. And you've also got to communicate clear and enforceable consequences that are going to happen to that child when those rules are broken. And remember, both the boundaries and the consequences must be consistent from day to day. Now parents, let me give you a sobering truth, and I hope you'll hear this. 
with a child, you get whatever behavior you're willing to live with from that child. I promise you, if you're willing to live with it, that's what you're going to get. If you're willing to live with a screaming toddler pitching a fit every time he doesn't get his way, you know what? That is exactly what you're going to live with. Trust me. If you're not willing to live with a particular behavior, then you've got to punish it and you've got to change it. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be easy, but with firmness and fairness and consistency, you can change almost any behavior over time. And one last point. Remember that these boundaries change as the child grows older and more responsible. That's why riding a bike in the street for an 8-year-old might be okay, but it's probably not for a 4-year-old. The key is to give a child more freedom as that child is willing and is able to take more responsibility that comes with that freedom. And a parent's job is to know how to keep those two things in balance. You know, many of our boundaries are going to change every year. We just got to realize that. Adjust. Go with the flow. Number two, be consistent with your rules and expectations. Listen, if it's wrong today, it needs to be wrong tomorrow. It, it, it shouldn't depend on what mood you're in or how tired you are or, or which parent is enforcing the rules. Doesn't that sometimes happen? And we'll talk more about that a little later. Guys, it takes a lot of time and energy to be consistent with your children. Depending on the child you may have to fight the same battle a thousand times. And here's the thing about children. They learn very quickly how long it'll take mom or dad to give up the fight. Haven't you found that out? They'll learn what round you're going to surrender, what round you're going to tap out and give up. And once that child learns that time, they will fight to that moment over and over and over again. Strong-willed children, man, strong-willed children will go toe-to-toe with you for 15 rounds if necessary. They will not give up. But when your authority is challenged, you have to win. Because once you lose control, it's really difficult to get control of your home back. Now, just a word of warning. Never make a rule that you're not willing to enforce. You've got to follow through on enforcing the rules you set. So if you don't want to fight over something, guys, don't tell that child not to do it. Just let it go. If it doesn't matter, don't make a rule. If it doesn't matter, don't say no. Just, but if you do set a rule, you've got to be willing to fight. You don't want your children learning early in life that your words don't mean anything. So don't make empty threats that you don't want to enforce. If you say it, you've got to do it. Number three, apply appropriate discipline when it's needed. Appropriate discipline. Now let me say this. Spanking, and and I'm not talking about beating a child. Appropriate spanking is an appropriate discipline for a defiant child. Now, a defiant child is one who openly challenges your authority. This is the child that looks you straight in the eye when you ask them to do something and says, No! Now, that, that, if you were wondering what defiance is, that's defiance. Okay, it's pretty easy to see when you spot it. It's sort of like pornography. When you see it, you know it. Well, defiance is that way. When you see it, you know what it is. 
It's, it's, and in that moment, there's mutiny in the home. They have challenged your authority. And when they do, it must be met with force. Mom, Dad, when your authority is challenged, you've got to win and you've got to win decisively. If you don't, you're going to lose control quickly and things are going to get out of hand. And you know what's even worse? You're going to lose the respect of that child. Because that child is challenging your authority because he wants to know, are you really in charge? He wants to know, are you really going to take care of me? Are you really going to stand up to me? Hey, don't back down. Stand strong. Fight the battles that need to be fought. Now, let me make one other thing really clear here. Never spank a child for being a child. They're going to spill things. They're going to act immaturely. They're going to be irresponsible. They're going to leave your tools and your things out in the yard that are going to rust and rot and never be useful to you again. And when that happens, you know what? You need to deal with it. But there's other forms of discipline for that. Like time out or one of my wife's favorites was picking up pine cones. Our child, our children picked up a lot of bags of pine cones when they were kids. Very effective form of discipline, especially if you have a lot of pine trees in your yard. You need to educate yourself on what appropriate, on what age appropriate behavior is. You know, I've seen parents expecting too much out of their children. I've seen parents expecting way too little out of their children. Hey, read a good book. Learn what is age appropriate, what you can expect out of that child. And then discipline them according to those expectations. Here's the rule. For childish irresponsibility, you should teach. But for open rebellion, you better win. And then number four, for our first season of life, learn to give choices rather than give orders. You know, you can tell your child, get up and go take a bath. Or you can say, hey, would you rather take your bath first or would you rather brush your teeth first? Now, I just told them to do the same thing, didn't I? But it's amazing how those two options will be viewed differently. Because, see, at any age, we don't like being told what to do. And you know what? Your children don't like being told what to do. But you know what they will like is if you'll give them choices. Because what you're doing is you're, you're allowing them to determine what they want to do. Now, now, as a parent, you've narrowed those choices down to two things you like and two things you want. And, and, and sooner or later, they'll figure that out. Sooner or later, they'll figure, okay, Mom, I see what you're after here. Yeah. But, but you know what? They'll still appreciate it. Even as a teenager, <laughs> they'll still appreciate that, you know, you, okay, you can come home at 11 or you can come home at 12. Which one do you want to come home at? Yeah. They'll, they'll appreciate the choices that you've narrowed down for them. But guys, start early in life, especially with that strong-willed child, because it empowers them in a good way. It gives them the very thing that they want, which is some control over their life. A side benefit is you're also helping your child to learn how to make decisions, which is one of the key, huge things we need to learn to do as we grow up. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that this little thing is going to, of asking questions is going to solve all your problems, but I'll tell you, before you dismiss it, if you've got children, you ought to try it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. 
Guys, these early years are all about training and discipline. The first five years of life set a path for a child. This season of parenting is difficult, but it is so important. You are not babysitting those little ones. You are molding them in ways that will impact them for the rest of their lives. Oh, how we need to understand how important these first five years of life are. Now, the next season of parenting is what we'll call the summer season. It's the elementary school, early middle school years, from about age 6 to age 12. We find an interesting verse in Luke chapter 2, verse 51. There we read, Then he, that being Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he was subject to them. But his mother kept all of these things in her heart, and Jesus increased, or he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now, we're told earlier in the chapter that Jesus was about 12 years old. This was the time when he stayed in the temple and the parents left and they didn't know where he was. This is that particular episode. But, but this, Jesus was in what I would call the growing years. These are the years when, we're starting, when, when our children are starting to experience the world with their mom and dad. Okay, most of the time, children during this age, this is the first time that they're really entering and experiencing a lot of the outside world. But it's the world with mom and dad. It's during this period of time when they really become in contact with a lot of things that that are outside the family. But hopefully, this will happen while mom and dad are there to guide and influence and interpret the child's first experience with the things of the world. Now I'm going to give you four principles for raising children during this age because this is tricky. Number one, you and your spouse must be on the same page in what is allowed and expected from your child. Now why do I put that in this particular age? Here's why. See, for most families, when the children are really young, Mom is the primary influencer in the child's life during the early years, most of the time, not always. And I'm not minimizing the role of dad during those early years. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But it's mom that's usually there during much of this time, much of these early years. But during the second season of life, dad begins to play a much larger role. This is why it becomes vital that mom and dad are on the same page when it comes to the rules and the house, the house rules and the expectations of what will happen Have you ever seen a child be told no by one parent only to very quickly go to the other parent and get a yes? You know, and usually they'll do it quietly. And then they'll, well, dad told me I could do it. Why does that happen? It happens because mom and dad aren't always on the same page. I think this happens far too often. We need to get on the same page with our spouse. We need to be talking about things ahead of time. Be ahead of our children. Usually in most marriages, one parent is more lenient than the other and one is more, is more strict when it comes to discipline. That's pretty normal across the board. But I've found that if you'll work together and if you'll meet in the middle or somewhere close to the middle, you'll usually find that you are at a healthy place in raising that child. Not too strict, not too lenient. You know, Listen, leniency has some major problems when it comes to raising kids. 
but so does being overly strict, man. It, it, when you're overly strict and overly protective, you create some major problems for your children. Healthy parenting is found in that middle ground where we get together and we, we get on the same page. And yes, we have to compromise a little bit. We have to give a little take. But we get to that place where, okay, I can live with that. And okay, she can live with that. Okay, that's what we'll do. Man, Donna and I had so many discussions together like that when our kids were growing up. Because we, we weren't always on the same page. But we would, we would usually talk through things. Okay, I can live with that. Yet. And, and we would get there. And, and you know, we found that it was always a good place to be in that middle ground. Number two, treat your children with respect. Giving respect is the best way to earn respect from your kids. Giving respect doesn't mean being a weak parent. I'm not, giving respect doesn't mean giving in. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. It's having the strength to restrain yourself from treating your children unfairly. And that does take strength at times. But you are modeling for them what respect looks like. See, we need to show our children respect so that as they grow up, they know how they should be treated. You know, when, when my kids were young, and this was true for all four, but especially for my girls, after they were about age 9 or 10, I would never walk into their rooms without knocking. I just wouldn't do it. Because I wanted them to know that I respected them as young ladies. But I also wanted them to respect themselves. And I wanted them to know what they needed to expect out of the young boys and young men that they were going to be spending time with later in life. Listen, your child will feel like they deserve respect when we give them respect. And so do it. Number three, we need to spend a lot of time with our children during these ages. Now, obviously, we need, our children need our time and attention at every age. I'm not diminishing that. But I think you're going to find that this age period, this 6 to 12, is a period that's different. This is the age where your presence is welcome more than most other times of the child's life, but it's also needed. Remember, for the first time in their life, children are starting to interact to a much greater degree with the world around them, the world outside your home. And they need you there to be an interpreter of that world and, and a diversion from that world and from the attractions that that world brings. Guys, during this time, they need an alternative to TV and to internet games. They need something to do other than sit on the couch and watch something. This is a great time to teach your kids to play games. You know, board games like Monopoly. To learn to play dominoes. To learn to play card games. This is the time to make family vacations a real priority. Now, hey, listen. When our kids were young, we could not afford expensive vacations with our children. I get that. I understand that. But I, I can promise you this. If you ask Stacy this morning, Stacy, what are some of your favorite memories of childhood? I'll tell you what she'll tell you. From the times we went camping together as a family. Now, I got to tell you, camping was not a vacation for me. It was hard work. But wow, was it profitable. We made so many wonderful memories Sweating, trying to put up tents on top of bees' nests. 
We made lots of wonderful memories. But you know what? They're memories that our kids will never forget. And I'll never forget some of them either. Listen, during this time, coach your kids when they're sports teams. If you don't understand the game, trust me, you'll learn as you go. I coached soccer one time. I never kicked a soccer ball in my life. But I coached it one time. I don't remember if we won any games, but I learned as I went. See, this is what recreational leagues are all about. Ride bikes together, fish together. Spend as much time together during this age time as you possibly can. Give them healthy, fun alternatives that will keep them from the attractions of the world. Influence is always a function of time together. In other words, you can't influence someone you're not around. If you want your children to listen to you, then you have to be the primary voice in their life. Get them off the couch. Rescue them from the video screens. Yes, you will not have much time for yourself during these years. I'm going to tell you that. But you know what? You can do your hobbies later in life. I think for about 20 years of my life, I did not pick up a golf club. But I'm making up for it now. Kids are all gone. I got plenty of time. I didn't then, though. And then number four, give them age-appropriate chores around the house. In other words, children need to learn the importance of working together as a family. And they also need to learn the skills that come with doing that work around the house. See, this is where children learn responsibility. This is where they grow in confidence as a person. See, that middle schooler, they can do their own laundry if you teach them. I promise you, mine did. Elementary school kids can learn to clean their rooms. They can make their own lunches. It's going to take you time to teach them. And yes, it is often easier to just do it yourself. And yes, you will do a better job than they will do. But that's okay. They need to learn that they can handle things in life. That they can, that they can fend for themselves. That they can live independently. During these years... They're going to get introduced to the outside world. Make sure that you're there to help them appropriately interpret and understand that world. You know, many parents today are so afraid to let their children have contact with the world. And, and, and you know what? I understand that. The world is a scary place. But you need to know they need to experience some of the world while you're there to help them interpret it and understand it and deal with it. If you wait till they go off to college and you're no longer there, it's too late then. Make sure you're there, though, especially during these middle school and elementary school years. The next season of parenting is what we'll call the fall season. These are the teen years, the fun years. These are about age 13 to 19, although today I think we could probably extend this to maybe age 22 or maybe even 25. <laughs> if it goes much past there, you probably have a problem, okay? We'll, we'll call these the exploring years. This is the time when a teenager begins to explore and, and experience the world without mom and dad right there beside them. This is a time when all of your training and your discipline will hopefully pay off. Though I have learned, guys, there are no guarantees. And don't think there are. 
Every child's got a free will. Every child is going to make their own choices. Don't think, though, that your investment in them at those young years will not pay dividends. It will. It just may take some time to get there. I love this verse in referencing the parenting teens. It's found in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now understand something. Daniel is a teenage boy who's been taken from his home in Judah. He finds himself captive in the world headquarters of paganism. He's in Babylon. And yet, even in this pressure-packed, reprogramming high school there in Babylon, he is faithful to those things that he had been taught by his parents from the Scriptures. And guys, your children can make the same decisions if you've taught them those things. So let's look at four principles of of parenting during this very fun and difficult season. Number one, give your children room to grow. Give your child room to grow. You've got to make a conscious effort to take a step back during these years. Now, yes, you could solve many of their problems by stepping in. But is that what's best for them? And yes, you could probably make life easier for them by intercepting those problems and by dealing with those teachers and and by dealing with that work that they've got to get done or with their boss at that part-time job. But is that what's best for them? Teens have to learn to solve their own problems. Now, certainly you can give them advice when they ask, but let them work through what they're dealing with. Let them deal with that teacher that's giving them problems at school. Don't treat them like they're helpless. When you show up there at school and say, I'm going to take care of this for you, you know what they do? They go, okay, I must not be capable. I must not be able. That's the message that we send to our kids when we step in and just solve all their problems. Guys, it is solving problems that shows them that that they can be confident in their own abilities. Now, can they fail, and will they fail? Probably, sometimes. But that is also when they're going to grow. Because, as you know, the best lessons in life are learned when. When we fail, and when we have to grow through our failures. Second, respect their turf. Learn the art of watching them from a distance if you've got a teenager. See, the youth group is their turf. The high school campus is their turf. And when you're there, you're a visitor on their turf. Listen, Don and I went to many, many sporting events at Brookwood High School while our kids were there. And on the way, I would always remind myself, and sometimes we'd remind each other, okay, we're, we're fixing to go on their turf. What, what that meant was you got to stay low key. you got to stay out of the way. They wanted to see us there. They just didn't want anybody to know that we were their parents at certain particular moments of the time we were there. It meant if we wanted to see them, we had to wait for them to come find us 
we couldn't go meandering down through the band section or down through the, the, the team section and, and, hey, hey, we're here, we're here. You know, we, we, we couldn't do that. We just kind of had to sit back and you know, maybe before the end of the game, they'll come by and check on mom and dad. Sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. And that was okay. It was okay. They knew we were there, and that's what mattered. Listen, they may or may not want to see you during that particular event, but they want to see you at that particular event. But remember, you're their guest. Respect their right to be with their friends and away from you. And that's hard to do for some of us. Listen, there were times when I know I infringed on my kids' turf more than I should have. And I could always tell by the look on, my, on their face that, Dad, you just need to get out of here. Dad, you don't belong here right now. And I would just sort of go, okay. <laughs> just kind of scurry back, shut up, get out of the way. you got to learn the art of being invisible. But what staying away from them did was it gave them the freedom to come to us. It gave them the freedom when they were ready to come sit with us and to talk with us. And those were wonderful times. I can remember times when the kids, especially Stacy, Jenny, Brian, when they were in the band, you know, after the halftime show, we'd be sitting there. And finally, they'd come walking up. Hey, Dad, did you, you, you see that? Did you see the show? Did you see what we did? Yeah, I saw it. It was great. And, and it was just so fulfilling, you know, when they took the effort to come to you. But that would not have happened had we not given them that choice. Respect their turf. Third, don't interrogate your teenagers. Listen to them. They'll talk when they are ready to talk. And this usually happens not on your schedule, but on their schedule. For our kids, it was usually about 1130 at night. About the time we were asleep, there would come a little knock on the door. Hey, you guys awake in there? Yes, come on in. We're wide awake. Just waiting on you. And then they would talk. And they would tell us some scary things sometimes. And when they do, you need to be very careful not to overreact to what they say. No matter how shocked you might be with what they say. No matter how stunned or how frightened or how sad you might be with what they tell you. At that moment, you just need to be thankful that they're involving you in their life. But listen. If you overreact, and if you start preaching to them, you're going to very quickly shut them down, and they will not come back to you the next time. Because they'll figure out that mom and dad are just not safe to talk to. We need to just listen sometimes. We need to let them know that mom and dad are a safe place for them. Don't force them to shut you out. And listen, don't condemn what they're saying. Don't judge what they're saying. Listen, instead, listen and learn to ask questions without passing judgment. You know, if your children are saying some things to you that are pretty provocative and that are really scaring you, that they're thinking about that, say things like, what do you think about that? How do you feel about that? Is that something that you see yourself doing? What would your concerns be if you were in that situation? Listen. You know what's going on in your teenager's mind? They know what you think. They're trying to figure out what they think. And by asking them questions, 
you help them figure out what they think. They're trying to, to go, you know, they just experienced this horrible thing on a date or, or at a party or at school. They, they just had this bad experience. And, and they're not quite sure how to think about it. And they're coming to you to talk about it so they can figure out how they need to process it. Guys, they know how you've processed it. You've spent 12, 15, 20 years telling them what you think. They're trying to figure out what they think. And so give them the freedom to do that. Now look, if they ask your advice, feel free to give it to them. But don't preach at them. But if they don't ask your advice, yes, bite your tongue. We'll talk more about that later. Number four, limit the dangers. Limit the dangers. Know when to step in. Teenagers are by no stretch of the imagination ready for total freedom. A wise parent knows how to let out just the right amount of rope. As long as your kids are living in your home, I encourage you to keep a curfew in that home. For us, usually it was somewhere, depending on the age of the child, between 10, 11, and midnight. It was very rarely after midnight, except on a few rare occasions. We would always encourage double dating or group dating over our kids going out with just their boyfriend or their girlfriend alone. I won't tell you that we'd never let them, but we just encouraged it. We would very much determine who they could ride with and who they couldn't ride with, especially when it came to teenage drivers. And we would have a big say-so in what parties they would go to and what parties they wouldn't go to, what things were off-limits. Now, they may go behind your back. That could happen. And to some degree during the teenage years, yes, they are out of you, they're out of your control. There are things that will go on. If they're determined to do some things wrong, they will do them. There's no doubt about that. But as long as they're in your home, many decisions for them are still your responsibility. See, you can't step so far back that you allow them to make bad decisions that will harm them in, in terrible ways. You've got to make it more difficult for them to make those bad decisions. And you've often got to set some limits that will protect them. So the art of successful parenting is knowing what freedoms your teen can handle and what they can't. Here's the principle. The more responsibility my teen shows they can handle, the greater the freedom I'm going to give them. Those two things go hand in hand. Listen, remember the teen years are about pulling back, but they are certainly not hands off. And you've got to know the difference between those two things. Now, the final season of parenting is that one many parents dread. We'll call it the winter season of parenting. It's the time when our children leave our home as adults. And we'll call this the independent years. This is where many of you are today. You're in the independent years, the time when your children are leaving the world of mom and dad. Or they've left the world of mom and dad. Many parents hate this time. They hate to see their children leaving but, but I believe it's something to be excited and to rejoice over. See, if your child is ready to successfully move out and live responsibility on their own, then you have done a great job. Pat yourself on the back. Rejoice. And if they're not, they're probably living in your basement. So, hey, you're okay either way. You're a winner. I'm just kidding. 
But the relationships should change during these years. Very simply, now they can become your friend. Now, up until this point, that was not the best idea to become friends with your kids. Because you had other priorities with your children that took precedent over being their friend. But now that's changing. And certainly, you're always going to be their parent. But the dynamic, the new dynamic of friendship gets added to the relationship. And this is a cool thing. You remember the relationship that Jesus had with his disciples? He was the teacher. They were the student. He was the master. They were the learners, the disciples. But after three and a half years of training, the night before his death, he said the following words to them in John 15. He said, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all the things that I heard from my father I make known to you. In one sense, nothing about the relationship between Jesus and the disciples had changed. He was still the Son of God, and they were still sinful men. But in another sense, with this verse, everything changed. Jesus added friendship to the relationship. And friendship brings an element of equality to the relationship. It was Jesus elevating these sinful disciples to a higher place even though they weren't equals with Him. One was still the student. One was still the parent. One was still the child. And yet, the parent, or the master in this case, allowed the relationship to change. Guys, this is why Jesus calls you friends today. Are you on equal par with Jesus? Absolutely not. But He's elevated you to the role of friendship. And we've got to accept our children as grown, responsible adults. We've got to treat them with a higher level of respect. Even though, in some ways, they're still kids. Guys, if your child was 25 years younger than you when they were born, they're still 25 years younger than you. They've still, you, you know 25 years more stuff than they do. But at this point, you've got to choose to elevate them to the role of friends. Let me give you four quick principles. And I think some of these will maybe really help you. Number one, don't reestablish a dependent relationship with them once it has ended. Sometimes parents confuse love with dependence. They like their children depending on them for support. But this isn't healthy for either the parent or the child. Listen, loaning money to your children can be very dangerous. Or having to give them money on a regular basis to pay their bills is not healthy. Allowing them to live in your home without rent or without responsibility can create an unhealthy situation. Now, there, there are exceptions to that. That being a short-term period of time when, when they're trying to reach some positive goals for their life, like finishing school or paying back loans or saving money to buy a house, you might let them live there with you for a period of time, and that's okay. Every situation is different. But you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about enabling your children to live dependent on you. See, dependence will not allow for friendship. Friendship can only develop when a child doesn't need you. When both sides have the freedom to love 
at the higher place of friendship. Number two. <laughs> oh, at least you get close to home. Don't invade where you're not invited. Don't invade where you're not invited. Respect that they have a life that may or may not include you the way you want to be included. The new boundaries are set by them, especially when they get married. And this is a really difficult change for most parents, especially mothers. Up until this point, you've always had the upper hand of control in their life. And then their child goes out and they get married. And and all of a sudden, there's this other person that has supplanted your place in that child's life. But guys, this is the way it needs to be. This is the way it should be. But always remember this. You also have the right to set new boundaries on your side of the relationship. You've got to be able to say no without feeling guilty for a week when they come to you and ask you to do something. You just got to be, sometimes you got to be willing to say, no, we can't do that. You've got to maintain your healthy boundaries as well. That's part of friendship. Number three. Okay, I'm going to get this one out. The giver of advice here is going to say this. Advice should only be given when it is asked for. I love giving advice. I'm a counselor. That's what I do. I give advice. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. But when your children grow up, it's hard when they don't come to you and ask for advice. And they decide to do things differently than you did. Isn't that hard to watch? You're so tempted to step in and to correct them. Say, hey, don't you know what you're doing here? Me and your mom didn't do it that way. They're, they're thinking, yeah, I know. We're not either. Listen, you start giving them unsolicited advice, and you may very well run them off. You've got to learn to bite that tongue. This is one of the things that Don and I quickly learned when our kids got married. You've got to remind each other that it's okay that your children might choose a different way of doing things than the way you did them. Now, the exception to this rule would, then, would be when there is addiction or mental illness or blatant destructive sin taking place in their lives. There are times when a family in these situations must step in uninvited. But guys, these are rare occasions. Don't make it the norm to step in where you're not invited. And then number four, Work to develop and maintain the friendship. All friendships take time and energy and effort to keep them growing. You you still have to make your family a big priority. Trying to get your family together is important. It's part of staying healthy. Make sure that you're finding time and occasions to keep your family strong. Now, sometimes distance won't allow the closeness that we desire. But keep making an effort. It'll be worth it. So if you're in that stage of life, guys, there's some ideas for you. I hope they help. I want to conclude this morning with a final thought, and I know that I'm running a little long here. When it comes to parenting in general, and if you're single here this morning, I want you to stay with me closely here. Outside of a healthy, strong love for God, you might ask the question, what are the traits I am most trying to develop in my child in order for them to live a joyful and successful life. In other words, what are the the big three or four things that I need to teach them? 
I think the answer is found in Genesis chapter 2. In these verses, we have the very first mention of a child leaving home. And I think we get some great goals for parenting right here. The verses are found in Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Let me give you four, tra- four traits that we need to teach our children from this passage. Number one, they must be able to live independent from mom and dad. In other words, you want your children, when they get to be a certain age, to be ready to leave you. And this means that they can survive in life and they can thrive in life without you. That's one of the big things you want to teach them. Number two, they need to be able to make and keep commitments. They need to be ready to make vows of commitments, ultimately to another person in marriage. You want them to be ready to be joined or or literally to be glued together to another person on a lifelong commitment of marriage. Are your children able to keep their commitments? Number three, are they able to connect emotionally or intimately with another person? And let me tell you, if they haven't cut the cord from you emotionally, they will find it very difficult to connect emotionally to another person, especially to a spouse. There is only room for two people in marriage. And it doesn't include a mother-in-law or a father-in-law. Guys, this one flesh relationship with a spouse requires them to be free of you. That's hard. Number four, that they're trustworthy. In other words, can they be naked physically, emotionally, spiritually with that other person in marriage and be trusted that they're not going to bring shame or harm to that person? In other words, have you let go of them enough to find out if your children are trustworthy? See, you don't know if somebody's trustworthy until you entrust them with something. And a big part of those teenage years, and even earlier, is to begin to entrust things to your children, to find out, am I teaching my child to be trustworthy? Guys, we've all made many mistakes as parents, and it is never too late to to correct the mistakes of the past. Remember the scripture that says, love covers a multitude of sins. Boy, I hold on to that verse. When in doubt, keep loving your children. Now, I didn't say keep doing for that child or keep giving to that child or keep rescuing that child. No, what I said was keep loving that child because it is never too late for them to come back and to begin to do the things that you've sought to instill in their lives. Keep loving them. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor James Chapman. If you enjoy the message, you can access more Pastor James' teaching ministry by visiting calvarycsm.org.